0: Hi there, it's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here again with Covey Cast and with a really great friend of mine, Carol Evans. And she is just one of the most dynamic reinventers and sort of another mother of reinvention, really, right, Carol? Yes, I guess you could say that. <laughs> and Carol is the person. I really um, have to tell you that when uh, More magazine folded and I it was the day it folded and I sat down at my desk again to look at my computer and try to figure out what I had to close down it was a very traumatic day Um, and the first thing I pulled up in my queue was a little note that said there is life after publishing and I clicked on it and I thought what the heck is this and it was a note from Carol I still don't know how you knew right away that's the magazine closed. You were the I have my first forefoot. person on the on the on the grapevine. You knew practically the second that I knew. And yes. um, she, she said, come to Minneapolis with us and knock on doors for Hillary Clinton. This was during the presidential campaign. And because I was transitioning over and going to become an entrepreneur, I literally pushed the button and said, great, I'm in, and I booked my flight, and it was one of the most helpful things to get me out of, like, oh my God, what's happening to my life, it's falling apart. Carol made me feel like it was starting over. Yes. And, sh- go ahead. And
1: the thing you you that people have to understand is that you were on the plane, like, the next day. Yes,
0: absolutely, <laughs> I mean, and Carol, the wonderful like thing about right Carol, then. <laughs> she has such an incredible biography. She's, president emeritus and founder of Working Mother Media. She was a CEO. She's done tens of thousands of things. So I'm going to start by talking to Carol about her history and what she's done to reinvent herself. So Carol, I always like to go back and hear a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew up that kind of is starts the trajectory of someone who knows how to reinvent.
1: Sure. Um... Well, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm a Midwestern girl. And my whole background was suburbs of Chicago. Uh, It was a wonderful childhood. I I just had the best, uh, you know, growing up time with my two brothers, one older, one younger. And I always say that having two brothers was really instructive for being a girl uh, who became a CEO in a man's world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and the best trick about my family was that I was the most athletic of all of our children. My dad was very athletic, but I got the athletic genes and my brothers didn't. So
0: oh, hilarious! the
1: whole time I was growing yeah, it was really funny because the whole time I was growing up, I was like, I could run faster, play football better, you know, even though I was really, really short, I could hit that basketball. And, you know, it was, um, it was sort of like I grew up competing with my brothers and winning <laughs> mm, <okay. laughs> in a fun kind of way. So, my, uh, so it was a great childhood, but my mom was a real big influence on my, the rest of my life. She was a stay-at-home mom and rather unhappy about that until I was 10 years old. And uh, then she went back to work and she got a job teaching. And I oh. saw her go through this transformation from being kind of a you know, not-so-satisfied housewife to being this fantastically creative, engaged, and super well-loved teacher. She taught vocational school in my high school. Of course, I wasn't always oh, okay. so happy to be in the, in the high school with my mom. But, you know, but she started a program there that is a model for vocational programs around the country. And, um, and you know, she just went from not knowing what to wear to work, to being a leader in the state of Illinois in a vocational training for high school students. So it was a wonderful thing to watch. But So you watched um, her reinvent?
0: School. Did you Did you pick up any sort of tips and tricks from her? Was that your first kind of reinvention, sort of eye on reinvention?
1: Yes, it was. But the funny thing is it was a turned table because I was very helpful to her. Now, I can't tell you why I knew at the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12, when she was coming back to school, how to help her. But I helped her throughout her transition, I helped her pick the clothes to wear, I helped wow. her um, with her grading, you know, tr- giving her kind of like the students perspective. And then, you know, when, sh- when I was 12, or 13, I helped her make a a, a movie, it was sort of like a super eight movie. And it was about her program that she was at the time inventing. I still have that movie in my, in my Wow. Bio. Amazing. And, yeah, I know. And I was, I think I was 12 when we did that movie and it was, it was a great movie. It was really explanatory about what she was trying to accomplish. And, um, and I, I did that for her. So somehow I had a sense that because I was a student, I knew what, what her students kind of needed. And, um, and I was able to help her in a lot of ways, which is very, very much about reinvention because being not just witnessing a reinvention, but being part of it. Um, and I have to say my daughter, my own daughter, Julia has played that role for me many times of helping me to, um, you know, see myself from a different perspective and giving me advice on very adult things.
0: Hmm. Let's continue with your, so then you ended up, how did you end up in publishing? Just a quick sort of run through so people know what your history sure. is.
1: Well, publishing, it was such a, an interesting thing, I never, ever, ever expected to be a businesswoman. Period. End of story. I was going to be an artist, a writer, a backpacker, a canoeer for the rest of my life. I dropped out of college after my first year, became the black sheep of the family after being the golden girl. And um, I started a book publishing company to publish collections of short stories by previously uncollected authors. Um, And I needed money to make this nonprofit uh, book publishing company work. So I got a job in, uh, in the city in Chicago. And the only job that I could get with my bachelor's in literature degree was in magazines that I could think of and there were no editorial offices, so I became a salesperson instead of an editor.
0: <laughs> wow! Awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just pure fate—knocking on doors, getting my my first job in magazines, and um, and only doing it so that I could fund my nonprofit. Well, of course, okay. you know what happened. I fell in love with business. I fell in love with sales. I was really, really good at sales, and uh, and I my, launched my career. Uh, that I then you know, just dedicated my whole career to.
0: And so give us a little bit of um, working mother and working mother media because you ended up taking that over and becoming the CEO. So just a quick run on that. Sure. well,
1: yeah, working mother, working mother was um, one of my very first
0: jobs. It was um
1: owned by McCall publishing Company, and I was there at the launch. So, I was doing ad sales in Chicago, and they said they're coming out with this magazine called Working Mother. It was a one-shot, and I was 27, 28 years old, and I, I said, know Oh, that. Okay. I, know, I know all about Working Mothers you know, because of my mother. And so I had this phenomenal success with the first issue of Working Mother. I sold eight ad pages. Hardly anybody else sold any all these old salespeople who didn't think anything of this new magazine. And they were so astonished at my success that they moved me to New York to launch the magazine uh, because they decided that it could be a, um, you know, at least a bi, bi-monthly uh, publication. And so I did, I moved to New York in 1980 and I didn't, I was, t- boy, I was 28 years old. I knew oh nothing God, about it. Oh you were a baby. Yeah, I was a tiny baby. I didn't know anything about anything. I just, you know, I got about a million parking tickets the first weeks that I lived in New York because I didn't understand. Chicago is a a city where you can park and drive around. And so I didn't understand anything about New York. Uh, And there I was in charge of the advertising um, and running the whole ad sales team. And eventually, I, I stayed there for 10 years. I worked the first 10 years of Working Mother's Life uh, in the trenches, um, putting together the ad sales, putting together the marketing, inventing a lot of what working mother was, working with the editors, it was like a it was like a Harvard business degree but mm. in but you know but on the job training because I had to work on everything circulation, finance, budgeting and so finally you know eight seven years in um, I had my first baby. <laughs> while I was that working mother and uh, I became publisher of the magazine they promoted me and promoted me and it was just a few weeks after Robert was born that I was named uh, publisher and uh, you know I was there for 10 years and it became a huge huge success with 800,000 circulation by the time I left and was a monthly and we had spin-offs and it was very very exciting time and then you you became CEO No, I didn't become the CEO then. I was the publisher, um, but I actually left Working Mother in 1989. I was there 10 years, and I decided that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and Working Mother had been owned by a series of companies, a series of men by then, been owned by all men. Uh, I'd gone through two owners at that time, and um, I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur, so I left Working Mother, and I worked for... Arthur Levitt Jr., one of the most famous Wall Street personalities of of the era, uh, he owned a a magazine called Stage Bill, and I became the president of Stage Bill. And that was a phenomenal experience. We did the program for the Metropolitan Opera, the uh, San Francisco Opera, the Chicago Theaters. We had 110 arts organizations, Kennedy Center. It was Mm. very exciting. And I learned how to be an entrepreneur. Um, and then I went from there to be the chief operating officer of a magazine called CEO chief executive magazine, which was a fascinating and very important experience for me because I met 600 CEOs every year, Fortune 500 guys, all of them guys,
0: guys. And
1: I, I learned all about what it means to be a CEO. So, so that was a very important part of my, my experience. But then, um, Twelve years had gone by running these two publishing companies, and Working Mother came up for sale. Oh my gosh, Leslie! I was so excited. I was determined. I felt like my I'd lived my entire career for this moment. Uh huh. Um, and this this was the moment of reinvention. Okay. I mean, this was this was the big reinvention for me. So, I had been always working for somebody else. You know, a, co- a corporation or an entrepreneur. And now I saw that this was my chance to be become the CEO, to be the owner, and to be the top decision maker in an organization. So I went out and I thought I'll get funding from all there at the time there were all these women's organizations trying to fund women entrepreneurs. Right. And so I went to them I went to all of them first and they all turned me down. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. Talk about it. Okay, things nothing things new here. Later. Okay. What? Nothing new here. All yeah, men no, running no, the women's like... products until a woman tries to take it over, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know why I was surprised, but I, I was. And so I actually, Leslie, you won't believe this, but I went to 36 funders.
0: Wow. 36
1: funders. And I presented my idea for Working Mother. Um, magazine for to every one of them and I got 36 no's. Um, The magazine was close to bankruptcy at the time. Um, It was it had made a big bet on the internet that failed.
0: How much were you you trying to raise do you remember? How much what? How much were you trying to raise? Oh it was around a 20 million dollar purchase so it was pretty
1: expensive.
0: Okay.
1: Um, you know, not for it wasn't a huge publication, but it was a substantial. It was, and it included Working Woman magazine and and the National Association for Female Executives plus Working Mother. So, what happened was my thirty seventh uh, group said yes. They were oh. MCG Capital, yeah, and they're still good friends of mine. They um, they were they were very very interested in the magazine. They already o- had owned a piece of it. They'd been investors and they were very happy to take over the whole thing with, with, uh, with me as the CEO. And so we went in together and we bought Working Mother and I became the CEO. And we walked in there on August 17th, took over the place. And of course, you know, fate was really right around the corner because it was 2001. Oh. Yes. So 9 uh, 11 happened three weeks later. And it was just, you know, devastating in more ways than I could ever explain. Uh, It was, you know, there I was inventing myself and inventing a company because I had to complete, you know, we were on, it was, we were bought it basically assets out of bankruptcy. And so I had to reinvent this company from, you know, financially from a very low level. And, um, and there we were. Uh every single magazine in the country lost about thirty percent of their business after nine yes. eleven and we were no exception.
0: I remember that.
1: It was terrible. And, yeah. And so
0: you stayed also there my, though for many, many I years. My editor
1: my editor was a young mother who lived in lower Manhattan and she fled back to her home in Pennsylvania. Oh. so I had to, you know, start from scratch on a lot of the personnel as well. Wow. I'm sorry, what were you you asking?
0: No, I was just going to say, and then you stayed there how long? You were there for a very long time.
1: Yes, I didn't leave until um, the end of 2015. So, um, yeah, so I I was um, CEO uh, and owner for seven years. And in 2008, the recession happened. Uh, and, you know, it was like a second blow. We recovered beautifully from 9-11. I mean, we, right. you know, we were able to pull the magazine um, up, and what what I did in reaction to the terrible economic climate was that I, I actually reinvented the whole idea of what Working Mother uh, was and shifted it from being a magazine, you know, completely a magazine, to being... Uh, met a very integrated uh, multi-marketing platform so we had you know that sounds like gobbledygook but we had we had our conferences I built a whole uh, business of conferences that became about half of our business I built a mm-hmm. whole research business that we were very successful at and we built we created a series of initiatives that we launched you know in each one sort of in a, a succession and then I acquired a diversity uh, company, Diversity Best Practices, in 2006. And we just really became uh, a media company focused on the advancement of women, people of color, uh, people with disabilities. And, um, and we became the voice of uh, minorities in corporate America. So it was extremely exciting, uh, very exciting. But in 2008, you know, we were still... Um, I had become self-sufficient as a company and we again lost 27% of our business after the crash. Right.
0: Um, everybody did. Yeah.
1: Had, everybody did, but I had actually seen it coming, not because I'm a financial genius, but because every year in August I took a million dollar loan out to float the magazine through the uh, bi-monthly summer issues, And in 2008, I was always getting my loan in February to, to come in to play in August. And in February 2008, I couldn't get a loan and something was up. And I talked to my investors about it and they, we agreed that we should probably sell the magazine
0: uh-huh.
1: um, be, because you know, we, things were tightening in the magazine business and we thought it would be, this would be a good time to sell. We'd always planned to sell, and seven years in is about the end of a venture capitalist investment, anyway. Okay. So together, we you know very successfully together we went out and we sold the company, um, and I signed the papers September uh, in September of 20, 2008, and uh, the following almost the
0: following day, Lehman
1: Brothers folded.
0: Oh God! Yeah, mm-hmm. talk about being buffeted.
1: So- <laughs> yes. It was, it was quite the roller coaster ride and we survived. We working mother magazine survived only because of that sale. Cause as an entrepreneur, I don't think I could have weathered that storm of the 2008. Uh, it was such a destructive, um, uh, financial situation. I don't think we could have survived, but we survived very well with the protection of Bonnier who bought us. And, um, was able to weather the storm because it was a you know uh, half a billion dollar company. So,
0: so let's. You know, can I so talk? Then I had something. to, then I had
1: to re- reinvent myself as another corporate person.
0: <laughs> yes. So you went back to being a corporate person, and then you finished up there in 2015. 2015.
1: Is that right? Yeah. I
0: I um, I stayed with the company. I retired
1: in 2015. I stayed with the company as an advisor for you know about not quite a year. Um, but what I, but the the real thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to, I'd been, you know, working for 39 years and I wanted to, um, spend some more time with, um, my husband and my family. And I didn't want to work a hundred percent the way I had been 150%, you know, as a CEO, but I wanted to do something really exciting, um, which was to support the candidacy of Hillary Clinton.
0: So and I can you can talk a little bit about launching that? Because that's your second reinvention, really.
1: Yeah, that's a huge reinvention. And a very it was a very kind of from scratch reinvention. Um, yeah, here's what happened. Um, two friends of mine came to me in February of 2015, knowing that I was leaving Working Mother, and um, told me that they wanted to launch an organization to support Hillary, and would I help them create it. And so we had dinner and talked and talked and talked, and we came up with creating an organization that would help executive women to get involved in politics um, in this campaign to elect the first woman president. Uh, and it, was, it became a very you know strong, solid organization. Leslie, you joined in. A lot of other mm-hmm. uh, executive women. We had twenty. We have still twenty four hundred members across the country, all of them, uh, you know, executive level women, retirees um, from all walks of life, academia, corporate, um, entrepreneurs, you know, every consultant, every imaginable type of working woman, um, and all dedicated to spending at least part of their energy, time, money, getting Hillary elected. And so I... I um, really did an enormous amount of work on this for the right through the election uh, right through the November 9th 2016 Um, and it was the thing about the reinvention there was so interesting because it was it was taking the skills that I had learned as a CEO and then applying them to something that I knew actually very little about so usually I was building on my own level of strengths and knowledge, but here I was um, leading an organization in politics, and I really didn't know that much about politics. I thought I knew about politics,
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: I knew, what I really knew was policy and, um, you know, I don't know, I knew Democrat, you know, I knew strategy and policy. I did not know anything about electioneering. I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about how people actually got elected. Interesting. Um, so we, you know, we, we had to really rely on a lot of different groups. We teamed up with, um, you know, Hillary's campaign. And we, uh, we were guided by Mini Timuraja who is the head of the women's uh, women's campaign for Hillary um, for HRC. And, we followed her guidance, and she taught us a lot. and then we worked with state and local um, campaign managers for her for Hillary in Pennsylvania and Iowa, and Illinois, all over to to guide us on what to do when we flew into those territories and and worked on the primaries. So it was a major What's... reinvention that was kind of um, fascinating. And of course, it was a completely unpaid position. It was total volunteer. Uh, spending our own money to travel around. But um, what a fascinating, oh, what a learning experience.
0: So would you say that this is, that was, I mean, did, did you translate a lot of your skills? How did they translate over from being a CEO of a for-profit to running something that was not for profit? And that was, would you say that there are two or three major skills that you were able to translate, or was it completely new and that was what was exciting about it?
1: No, it was completely transforming, transferring my skills. I was using all of my CEO skills. The only thing that was new was learning how to actually do the work um, that I was leading, which is kind of, you know, interesting. But so I, um, so my three top skills that I was using one was, um, you know, leading a meeting and getting people to move in the same direction that I wanted to go in. Now,
0: okay. of course,
1: I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very collaborative leader, um, but I also have very specific ideas of what's, you know, what's the best path. I have a very high sense of what's the advantage for our group. So, you know, so I brought that ability to be collaborative, but yet, you know, really trying to find what I thought was the right strategy um, and leading in that direction. I brought that to this organization and led the, the we had biweekly meetings for the steering committee. Um, so I really applied those leadership skills. Um, and, and and in a way, it's all about making uh, the group, the steering committee, those who are really showing up and doing the work, making them, um, you know, empowered to yes. to have their opinions, to take control, to do what they can. Within the context of making sure that it fit within the the overall overarching um, desires of the group, so that that was a skill that I brought straight from my CEO world. The other one was communication. You know, I mean, being an English major and managing the editorial side for decades, I know, and also managing the marketing of a, of a major company, I know a lot about communications, and so that was something that. I took a lot of responsibility for um, and enjoyed you know, tremendously. The thing I didn't know, I had to learn all new skills because I was working on MailChimp and doing things that I would have had a huge staff to do. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we had great volunteers who did a tremendous amount of the marketing, but I put a lot of energy and work uh, and my experience from marketing mm. into how to make this, this work. Um, so those are the two major things. The third thing was, uh, my knowledge about events. So here I was, at working mother, ah, good point. created a big, cre- yeah, created a big business on um, of how to run conferences. Ran you know, twenty to thirty conferences a year. All, you know, some of them in, around the globe. So I knew a lot about conferences. So I could take that skill set of leading conferences and put that to work for the events that we did for Executive Women for Hillary. One of the things that we did that was different, that we loved, was that we held a lot of events. We Not fundraising events. These were um, events that we called them salons. We did them all over the country. They trained. We trained thousands of women in how to think about Hillary, how to look at the um, landscape of their community and what needed to be done to get out the vote for Hillary, and also how we used these salons to create a solid organization where people knew each other and had a common mission Mm
0: -hmm. and had
1: connectivity Mm -hmm. and networking.
0: So that's interesting because a lot of people who have to reinvent themselves, they think of going from the for-profit world to the not-for-profit and they're kind of freaked out and not happy because it's all about fundraising and they don't necessarily feel that their skills are being used. But those three skills definitely seem to translate. Those are things people can Actually, pick up and use. Correct.
1: Very much so. I mean, I, I think there's a there is a fundraising aspect to everything, and I did a lot of fundraising for Hillary. Um, but on the other hand, um, you know, I came up through sales, so for me, fundraising is very comfortable because uh-huh. it, you know it's it's with my it, it was actually my original skill that got me into publishing with sales. Um, so, so I'm happy about that using that for a nonprofit, but I would say that, you know, the CEO job for a nonprofit, if that's what people are looking at, that is a fundraising job, but there's many, many, many other jobs in nonprofit, the nonprofit world that aren't just fun, you know, just focused on, on that. I mean, obviously the CEO's job is not just fundraising, but it has that element. Um, but many jobs in nonprofit are about organizing and events and strategy and marketing. And, you know, I would encourage anyone to really seek out the nonprofit world. It's a, it's a wonderful way to take your skills from corporate and from for-profit into something that might feel more meaningful and mm-hmm. actually might be more meaningful.
0: So let's talk about you had a pivot then after the election. Now it's called Executive Women for Her. So it's broader, it's broader based so that people can work together to get women elected across all spectrums, correct?
1: Yes. I, I mean, I would say that we had a pivot, but first we had a depression.
0: Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean,
1: you know, we were like stunned and shocked and horrified and uh, it was just a terrible, terrible experience in my life to go through that loss. Uh, and you know, I was very blindsided because I'm an optimist. And so I was so sure she was going to win that it never occurred to me. She wouldn't. Um, but we did pivot uh, eventually. And, um, we decided that we, we kind of took a bit of a break where we, we didn't, we're not working at the level of intensity that we were working at under Hillary. So we are, Still in the process of reinventing Executive Women for Her. I mean, right away we changed our brand and we got the idea. Uh, Janet Woodfield, at Working Mother, came up with a new name: Executive Women for Her, instead of Executive Women for Hillary. And um, we got the idea of of working on. I mean, not you know, it's the only idea. Is so we have to work on the twenty eighteen uh, congressional elections, and then we have to work on twenty twenty. Um, but so what we looked at was what are our skills? Our skills are get out the vote. Our skills are training and um, and um, hosting uh, you know events that really bring people together. And our skills are uh, in marketing and getting out the idea of um, being a group. Um, so you know the only thing that is relevant right now, if you're going to be a part of the resistance, uh, is to Turn Congress blue. So we started with our new training, which is called um, ABC Training, and it means a blue Congress. And we're going to, we haven't <laughs> oh, been cute. out with okay. it yet. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> we haven't been out with it yet because we're, it's a little early still for 2018. What we've been doing is working on special elections. We worked on the four special elections that uh, the Democrats lost that were in those very Republican areas where there were uh, um, open elections for candidates who, I mean, for people who were brought into the um, Trump administration. And then now we're working on the governor uh, election in New Jersey and in Virginia, because those those are the only things that are happening right now. But um, we're gearing up for the uh, 2018 congressional elections, the House and the Senate, and there are several really important governorships coming up. And so that's that's what we're going to be doing. But I wanted to mention, because it's so so fun and interesting, is that I got involved. I decided that, well, first of all, I have been working on my consulting business uh, since the election. And, you know, I'm, I consult for uh, major companies, and I've been doing this um, since I left Working Mother. I consult for major companies on... Um, advancement of women and work life and diversity issues but the thing that got, really caught my eye was a local election here in Chappaqua. I live in Hillary's hometown and I've known Hillary for a long time because of being here in her community um, or she moved into mine because I was here first <laughs> But
0: nah, um, nah, 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 nah. so we uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. so, so we, um, we have a a local race here where we have a a Republican town supervisor and uh, a majority Republican town board. And I decided that was, I just thought that's terrible in Hillary's hometown. So I'm supporting the democratic slate, which is a very exciting slate because we have three women running. One of whom is a transgender woman and we're running against um, all of the We're running a slate against the Republicans. And here again, always got to be learning. I'm learning that local politics is quite different from national politics. Wow, how interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because what I found out is that, you know, remember how much Hillary knew about policy and how she was every day focusing on policy and what she was going to do when she was president? Love. These women in the local level, they have to know everything that's going on in town. They have to have a right. an, uh, an opinion and a strategy on everything. Local is very, very intense. So huh. I'm really enjoying learning about that. And again, I'm applying my skills from national to, you know, the national election to to here. I'm just a, a support person here, um, but I've been able to really contribute some um you know, in some meaningful ways to this election, and it's very exciting
0: for me. It's funny. I thought you were going to tell me you were running. I was waiting for. I was like, oh my God, Carol's actually jumping in. She's reinventing again. <laughs> That's so funny. So I have you one know, last I, I one don't, last. Go it, ahead. It's,
1: it's funny because I don't really feel like running is in my is in my future. I feel like um, I'm much better off leading from a different. Perspective than running, you know. Uh, isn't that funny? I just don't. I don't feel like that is in my blood. I feel like working it and making making other people win. That feels more exciting to me than being
0: the one, the one on the hot seat. Okay, <laughs> like you're the you're the local elected. Steve Bannon, then, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. Okay, uh, behind the think, scenes,
0: the evil because, person, evil evil doctor, whatever his name is. Who, you know, has the cat on his lap and decides how things are gonna go. So I have <laughs> that's one what question. I like to be. <laughs> right, there you go. Um, so
1: one last well, question for also, you. you I'm I... still trying to I'm still trying to get my work life balance in, you know. And so I think that's that being the candidate, there there is very, very little of that. But anyway, go ahead.
0: Right. So one last question for you. Something you and I have talked about, and a lot of women who are entrepreneurs and who have left corporate life. Um, are shocked by and it's really tough for them Um, and they end up drifting back to corporate life or longing for corporate life because it had for them what I call the second family and you and I have talked about this and especially as you get older the easy thing to do you know there is a second family aspect to being in a corporation where you just sort of parachute in, you have instant family, and you bring all your hangups and whatever, and you've got your boss, who's the you know the father or the mother or whatever, and but you just have this family. And each corporation, in my opinion, is dysfunctional in its own way, just the way a family is. And you have to find the dysfunction that fits your dysfunction. That's that's my opinion. Um, but you have this instant sort of flow. You have this instant set of people, whether you like them or not, you know, the siblings to fight with, but the siblings to get along with, when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have that. So you have to figure out how to make your own family in that own second family. And I remember we talked about that with Executive Women for Hillary. That was one of your impetuses was to find a cohort and a community that felt to you like a second family. Can you talk a little bit about creating that and what that took? Sure. Um, I very much miss my working mother family.
1: Uh, I knew that would be one of the hardships of leaving working mother um, because, you know, I mean, basically I had brought all those people in over the years, hired them all and trained them and, you know, worked with them and knew them so well. We had a very tight uh, management team, especially, but the whole group. So, yeah, I felt very much the need to make sure that, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't going to you know, be lonely in that in that way. Uh, my own family is small. You know, <laughs> I've got my daughter, my son, my husband, my dog, and then my a few neighbors. But I wasn't really that connected to the community here because of my commute uh, and my my huge amount of travel that I did in my job. So I didn't have that community-based family that so many people do have. Um, my family became my executive women for her, uh, for Hillary family. And it was a big family, 2,400 people. It was, you know, in many ways the same size. If you added in all my clients and all my conference people, it was at least as big as my working mother family, maybe bigger. Um, And it was funny because at some point as I was really building and working with the team to build executive women for Hillary, um, I really realized that this was not only my family, but this was my new network.
0: Mm-hmm. And I realized
1: that I was going to be dependent on this network for, um, you know, the consulting business that I really wanted to do because I wanted to continue the advancement of women work. And I realized that, hey, you know, it wasn't, you know, my the the clients and all the people that I knew at Working Mother, yes, they were still there, but they weren't necessarily... Uh, you know, a part of my daily life like they had been these people. These people are part of my daily life. And I started to think about how, um, you know, how valuable that was because it did have, it did have the whole dynamic that I had at work of, you know, the individuals and the, and making things um, positive and and helping people to work together well, but it also had, it was also a really, really strong network. When I needed people to do things for me as an entrepreneur, I could look at that network and say, who who in this network is really good at design? Right. Who in this network is good at websites? You know, um, And it, so it became that essential network that an entrepreneur really needs.
0: But it also well, how became you, the how emotional. You, Carol, the, how do you... The emotional, yeah. How do you... How does how do we teach? I mean, I, and I don't know if it's just uber extroverts like you and me who really need this, but I sense that an awful lot of women feel when they leave their corporate job, especially you know in their forties, fifties, um, they just feel bereft and they don't really know back to corporate, but that's all they know because it has that insta made kind of thing to it. So how do how does yeah. the average person, if they're not necessarily going to start something? I mean, some of them will who are listening, but how does the average person find that new family? I mean, is corporate the only way to find it, or you have to make it yourself? Are those the two options out there? Do you have any other suggestions for the gregarious kind of yeah? No, I don't. Who, you know?
1: Sure. I don't think corporate's the only way. I think corporate is just one way of many, many, many. I mean, first of all, you know, getting involved in this local election is so interesting because here's another new family, (laughs) you Uh know, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's my, it's getting me grounded in the community that I've actually lived in for 30 years, (laughs) but I am closer to my community than I've ever been in my life because I'm not leaving it every morning at, at 7 and coming back at 8. You know? It's amazing, right? Uh, so it's,
0: I find that the most amazing thing to actually enjoy my house, enjoy my gardens, enjoy the light, meet people in town, like walk by streets that I've lived here 22 years I never walked by. It's amazing, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: no, I would say, I'd say the same thing. I mean, I went on a there's a little bird sanctuary in town and I was canvassing for my and I'm like, Oh, I've never seen this. And I took a half hour walk through the bird sanctuary. Like, you know, it, it, I think, you know, get involved with the library, the garden club, the, I mean, all those things that kind of sound so suburban or, but if, and if you're in the city, get involved in, you know, any, well, there's so much in the city, um, but you know, don't, don't um, expect it to come to you. You really have to go seek it out. And getting involved in this local election has just put me in contact with my community, and, uh, in a way that I'm shocked and surprised at how much I'm enjoying. Uh, wow! So you know, interesting. because it's a lot of work. I thought this was just going to be work, but this is not just work. This uh, this local election, this local election is about really building a new new network, a new community, and it's one that's right here. I don't have to go into the city to connect with it, um, which is so lovely for me because I did that city thing so long. I go to the city quite often like at least once or twice a week but what a difference between that and being you know um a, a, a lifelong commuter so right. I think that for your audience who's listening I think that they need to um cap, I, I would say definitely corporate is not the only way in fact I now I feel like I don't think you could drag me back into corporate no matter what at this stage in my right. life I don't me think either. you could drag me back in no I mean I you know even a tempting CEO job that came up here, came open up here. Uh, Someone called me about it and it's an organization, it's a nonprofit organization that I just adore and I'm a member of. And I was like, "Mm, no, I don't want to do that. That's just, you know, I, it's just not who I want to be right now. Um, And so, and so you're building the way to look at it. I think is that you're building something new, just like you built your career. You're building something um, substantial and important. It's not just about how am I going to live out the rest of my life? It's about what am I going to build? And whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, it doesn't really matter. It's about, um, you know, where you are going to place your time and how you're going to make new connections that are meaningful to you. And that always um, works best if you go back to something that's pulling at your heart. You know, Politics pulls at my heart because I care so much. I'm such a committed progressive Democrat. Um, so I've been following that. Elephants pull at my heart. You know I mean? What is it that pulls at your heart? Follow oh, that, that path and, and just, get in, just get involved and seek it out. It won't come to you. You know, none of this comes to you. Okay. Uh, which maybe is the joy of corporations. It, it kind of just comes to you. But yes. After the corporate life you have to seek it and that's that's the wonderful joy i think
0: well on that note of wonderful joy and seeking seeking out your heart's desire yourself i think that's a great way to end and i want to thank carol for being here and and talking us through her reinventions and all her Many. tips and tricks for everybody reinventing
1: Well, thank you so much, Leslie. I can't tell you how much fun it was to talk with my dear friend. Uh, And uh, I hope all your listeners really know what a special person you are and how much you're giving back to all of them. So thank you. Uh,
0: You're adorable. Thank you, darling. Take care. (laughs) Okay. Bye-bye. I want to thank all of you listeners for being here on the Covey Cast. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and we are interviewing women who are living the best time of their lives and reinventing themselves. Sometimes, many times, it's not just one reinvention, it's many. And I just always want you to know that there is life after whatever the heck you've been doing before, whether it's corporate or not corporate or just being a mom. And We're here to tell you there is life no matter who you are, where you are, what you did before. If you have the spirit, if you have the drive, you can continue doing this, and especially there is no age barrier. And so I wanted to thank Carol Evans, who is just a great friend of mine um, for really walking us through her biography, which is so amazing, and all her super reinventions. And I hope that if you like the Covey Cast, you will pass it along to friends and you will also leave us a comment. That will help us get um, some recognition out there and so other people can find us. If you're a reinventor or you know somebody who's a fabulous reinventer, please leave us a note on the Covey Club Facebook page and we will find that person. That is great. We're always looking for that. And I also wanted to say thank you to my wonderful nephew, John, who is our producer here and does full job. It's John Alba, and you can watch him on Fox News in Maine if you're in Maine. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you in a week or two.